Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this sermon would be a blessing to you. Lights. So, okay, the boxes. So I need to punch holes in the stage. Sorry, people online, I don't know what we're doing. We're just doing some home renovations here while we bought it. I'm doing it at home as well. Just go back to uh, William and Shirley. They just... Uh, I just want to just tell you, World's Missions, we, we, we are involved in the schools in Haiti and uh, continue to do that, but we also want to be involved in the project of getting it far and wide and be part of the translation and be part of all that. You understand how we give in Coastal. So you know that there, we have these different avenues of giving. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm going to let Holy Ghost get a hold of you, and you can write those checks out. A million is quite nice for Jesus. He loves a million dollars. He loves seeing those zeros. It's like he got stuck with the zeros. He just loves those zeros. So just write them. What's a million between friends? Hallelujah. Um, and then we can just kind of hurry up and get to that million trained people. And it's going to be exponential as this happens. It's just one of those things. So uh, William and uh, Shirley, Dick and uh, Davis, thanks for making time, coming to show us uh, and give us another porthole window of what's happening worldwide. And, uh, and so we want to hear Mandarin being... Uh, put together for this course because there are a couple of billion Chinese that need to hear the good news, the great news. Amen. Hallelujah. So it's good to be together. It's uh, great that I can get to share the Word of God with you. Um, I want to encourage the regular Coastal family guys. I know that you have your spot and I know that you're going to confuse me when you move to a different spot in the church, whether I can check on you, whether you're here. Val and I are always saying, okay, but so-and-so wasn't here. No, they were sitting on the other side, like Barry does that. He keeps moving all over the place. But I just want to encourage you to kind of shuffle up to this side so when those that come in and they haven't done their time change, they can find space in that corner of the building. So uh, we kind of lock that door so that it doesn't disturb, but we're just kind of giving you the insight of what happens behind the scenes. So if you want to make space for folk that are coming in for the first time, they don't want to kind of wander around in a strange place and it's dark and singing, just kind of shuffle up and fill these seats up here. And then um, we've got a great challenge. We need for more seats but they can't, we can't find any more fabric the same color as this. I didn't order enough when we did, so we have this lovely problem. So I want to share the word because the clock's ticking, and I want you to hear the word of God this morning. So let's bow our hearts and, and just pray here, and I just really thank you um, that you would posture yourself and allow your heart to hear what God wants to say. Father, thank you. We thank you that you are, are, are a good, good God, and we sang about it this morning. We thank you our hearts are postured that we would be soil rich and ready for your word to be deposited into it. And we thank you for a transforming time because of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm kicking off with another series and uh, it's uh, all around God's goodness because that's our theme. And uh, it's gonna be encountering God's goodness. And I'm gonna be picking stories through uh, different stories that are of people in the Bible that have encountered the goodness of God, that have encountered the divine and what's happened and which, which would hopefully posture us that we would lean in to encounter this incredible God that we, we have come to know and come to hear about. And uh, we see many men and women in the Bible, some sick, some lonely, some lame, some blind, um, some the up and outers, some of the down and outers, and they had an encounter with God and how their lives were transformed. And there is a place where we can posture ourselves, where we can encounter God, and I want us to, 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 to look into that. You, you think about Moses as he's wandering around in the, in the backside of the desert and finds a bush that just keeps burning. 
And he kind of shuffles up to it, and eventually a voice comes out and says, hey, listen, where you're standing is holy ground, take your shoes off. Uh, it, that's an encounter. It kind of, it kind of startles you. So um, you have that. Then you get Paul, who's really persecuting the church, who was Saul then, and then gets swatted flat onto the ground and can't see for three days. I mean, there is the love of Jesus, isn't it? Um, so there is. The, I can get some notes from that and how to pastor um, to kind of just uh, give some people the fivefold ministry. Uh, so, um, but you see these encounters they're called a face-to-face and divine encounter of God's goodness because when you encounter it, His goodness is the first thing that overwhelms you and touches you. And I know that as His presence walks into a place, you know His goodness has arrived because He's a good, good God. And so these next couple of Sundays, I want to just encounter, look at people that encountered Jesus. And today, I want to look at John the Apostle. There's so much richness in, in what he has has experienced and he has documented and he's shown us that uh, it would maybe increase our appetite to press forward to encounter this wonderful God that we're talking about. Now, John is a fisherman and he's got a brother, James, and he's also a fisherman and they're working with Zebedee, their dad. And so they, their job is fishing. And so when, so when did John first encounter Jesus? When did he come to a face-to-face encounter with him? Well, it happened to be when the, he encountered the goodness, there was a net-breaking, sink, boat-sinking catch of fish. That's when he encountered this man called Jesus Christ. And that's what happened. And so it happened that Jesus had just used Peter and James, his boat, to, to preach from, because he, was, he was getting pressed on the, on, the, on the shores. And so he got into the boat and he asked Peter, hey, so listen, you've cleaned your nets. Can you just push out a little while and I can just use it as a platform. Great opportunity to keep Peter and Andrew under the word of God because they couldn't go anywhere. They had to be in the boat and keep Jesus out there so they could preach. And so and afterwards, then Jesus said, listen, can you, eat? Can you just push out? Let's go, go fishing. Um, it's just wonderful to know that Jesus just doesn't take advantage of anybody. He always compensates. And he was, he was about to do that. And he had picked the story up in Luke chapter five, verse five, and says, master, this is Peter, replied, We've worked hard all, the, all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Good lesson there. Hear and obey. <laughs> you hear God speaking, obey. So when you're face to face with him, he's going to say something to you. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And a shout, a shout for help brought their partners into, in the other boats And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Verse 10, it goes on. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. They came in and met Jesus at this incredible miracle because they knew it was a miracle because they'd fished all night and had caught caught nothing. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now I thought, now I wonder what Zebedee thought, Dad. Who runs the company? He says, suddenly, Jesus, you come there and just suddenly you just take four of my manpower and just leave. So now I am in a position where I have to recruit more people. It's just a kind of a sideline thought that I had when that happened because I know what happens when people walk out of ministry and they haven't raised up other people to help you suddenly. Uh, what do I do? But I know that Jesus left 
a huge boatload of fish, which kind of was maybe a couple of months worth of income that would have kept him Zebedee going until he could recruit some more people. So God had it all covered, but he definitely wanted to, to get hold of um, uh, James and John, and, and so they left. And G- Jesus has that way of meeting each one of us. In our world, in our surroundings, in our situation, he is able to find him. And here he finds Peter, James, and John in, the, in their realm, in their fishing world. And so off they went and they followed Jesus and they became fishers of men. Um, we could ha- go along and talk about Peter's story, but I want to talk about John's story today. And so here, the first thing I want to just say, John's encounter ignited his, calling, his call. John's encounter ignited a call. John was going to be a fisherman. He was going to take over the family business. He was going to be part of what, what his dad had, had trained him and raised him. Rod Palmer was going to, going to finish his military call-up and, and do his duty, become an electrician, run a lovely electrical company, and, and get on with life and had my own business until Jesus came up on the picture and kind of changed the whole deal. His hook of love hooked me, and here I am 45 years later, took a completely different turn to what I expected. And that's what happens when you encounter the divine. Something happens and changes you. The same John, he went on to live the longest, uh, the longest uh, living apostle. Um, he outlived them all. He lived over, to over 100 years, they say, uh, of, of age. He documented his life and his encounters and his revelation of Jesus. He went ahead and wrote five books of the Bible. He wrote, um, and, and so theologians say that, that John went and penned these books uh, some 60 years after Jesus was crucified, and around uh, 85, between 85 and 95 AD. John outlived all the apostles. All his fellow apostles were martyred. King Agrippa had J- uh, John's brother James, what we spoke about, was in the boat, had him executed um, and killed in, in, in Acts 12. We read that. A full assault against the church and the leadership. The governing uh, authorities of the day were using it as a political um, a favor thing, trying to get people to, to, to back them and support them. And obviously the spiritual leaders disliked, or the religious leaders disliked this Jesus thing that was happening. And so the full assault took place against the church. Apostle Peter was crucified upside down by Nero. They say, history books record that uh, they try to kill John. They, uh, they had a boiling oil and they chucked John into boiling oil to kill him. But the only thing he did is from that boiling oil, he preached to them. They couldn't kill him. And so they, doing that, they couldn't kill him. They banished him to the Isle of Patmos. And so when he was there, guess what he did? He wrote the book of Revelations. That's what he did. And so John, his mom was known as Salome. And, um, and Salome was known as Mary's, Mary's sister, Mary the mother of Jesus. So that makes John and, and Jesus cousins. So I just kind of put you, put you in, the, in the picture of as how John now encounters that his cousin is the Messiah. It's, it's quite a startling thing when you realize, man, my relative is, uh, is God. <laughs> it's quite a, quite a heavy thing. And John goes ahead and starts the gospel and talks uh, uh, and writes the, uh, the an opening line that, that no other bi- uh, book of the Bible has. And it's, it's here in 1 John uh, 1, it says, in the beginning, the Word. And Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God. And you will realize that the Word was Jesus. And we also know that Jesus was God. And so it, it was the same start. And John, from that day um, he, that he encountered Jesus, 
pressed into the purpose of God. And so Jesus had an effect as he encountered John. John's um, encounters revealed that Jesus was God. It's one of the things that his interaction as a cousin, now he had to understand with his interaction now with this encounter that this Jesus that he had met was God. And that um, it was uh, communicated in, in John 1.1. He says, and the word Jesus was with God and the word Jesus was God. And he, and, and he announces it. It goes on in verse 14. He says, so the word became human and made his home amongst us, among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Again, John can't help himself but declare this divine one that he had met was faithful and good. John had um, John wanted to, wanted the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus to be understood, and he communicates that in the, in the scriptures. In the Gospel of John, he talks about and 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 and, and makes the point of God's and uh, Jesus's divinity. And then in the epistles and uh, one John, he states the humanity of Jesus, and he wants to make sure that it's clear. It's like today, the, the humanity and the, de- and the divinity of Jesus is under attack. They are trying to, trying to um, question it, undermine it, void it. Um, man, they will try and do anything to stop the declaration of truth about our Jesus. And that he was, he, yes, he walked in, in the flesh, but he was God when he walked here. And so we have that. And we have, the, I mean, we just have this whole thing that wants to push back on what's come down as history, trying to say that the Holocaust didn't exist. I mean, you've got to be a little brain dead to, to stand on those kind of things again. And so John here is seeing this so many years later. He hadn't written the thing, but he's observing the church coming and growing, and he's seeing all these other little errors coming in. So he says, no, man, I have to pen the gospel of John. I have to pen 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. I have to do that. And then um, he gets involved with revelations, which I don't even venture trying touching today. Uh, we'll just stay with the, with the John books. I think that'll be quite handy. But 1 John 1, 1, it says, yeah, we proclaim to you that the one who exists from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. So here we have a very um, uh, um, credible witness writing and, and putting pen to paper. And, 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 and so he's a first-hand witness. And it's like we are, Val and I coming into a room and somebody has some information about how Zimbabwe became, uh, how Rhodesia became Zimbabwe. And we can sit in the room and listen to them re, uh, repeat facts and information that they heard about how the country came from Rhodesia to Zimbabwe. And Val and I would have all the authority and all the right to challenge misinformation. Why? Because we lived there. For 22 years, we lived through the transition from Rhodesia to Zimbabwe. We knew the political climate. We knew the heartache. We know the pain. So when somebody says it wasn't so, we can say, listen, we were there. And that's what John's saying. He says, I I don't know what you guys are trying to write or trying to push or pedal about this Jesus, but I was there. I touched him. I saw him. I heard him. I want you to know that your testimony is powerful. I once was blind, but now I see. 
I was lame, but now I walk. Man, you have a testimony. I was blind spiritually, and now I see. I was lost, and now I say, do not hold back on your testimony. They cannot challenge it, because why? You were there when it happened. <laughs> you are a, a prime witness. So John's con- a continuous encounter transforms him. Our walk with Jesus is one of continuous encounters, and it changes us. Each one, each time we encounter, it brings a change. A minister told me once, Rod, if there's no change, there's no Jesus. Because if you hang around Jesus, he's going to be working on you. And he has this kind way of just getting you to change. When you wake up in the morning, you say, no, I must stop doing that. And I must start doing that. And so we see that scripture, well, the, the, in Scripture, John is transformed. I mean, he wasn't the same guy. I mean, he was this wild and woolly fisherman, rough and tough, hardworking. And, John, and Jesus found them so humorous, he actually gave them a nickname. In Mark 3, uh, verse 17, he says, James and John, the son of Zebedee. But Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Now you think, well, sons of thunder. No, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, an enduring or a complimenting name. Um, it was, man, you are pain, temperamental, bunch that need to be tempered by, by Jesus, you know? And uh, so, so they, were, they, they, they had a temperament that was very volatile, and I'll pull out some scripture just to show you. But yeah, the scriptures say that James and John were recognized because they had the, uh, an accent. They were Gal- Galileans because they had an accent. It's like when you come across guys from Benel, you understand they come from Benel. <laughs> they have an accent. <laughs> and you guys... Obviously, when you hear South African accents, because they continually flow past this pulpit, you understand, that's where they are. Then you've got people that come from Wyoming, Brian, I mean, he's, uh, how was Caleb last week? I mean, oh, Mr. Kentucky himself. And you understand that these guys, and you know what comes with them. And Jesus knew, man, these Galileans, they're going to be a handful. How about when the, the Samaritan's uh, village didn't want to welcome Jesus? <laughs> Listen to Luke 9. It says, and when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from he- heaven to burn them up? <laughs> they sound like my kind of people, man. <laughs> so let's just nuke them. <laughs> let's, just, let's just get rid of them. And, and then John wants to sign up to be the exclusive group. Because here in Mark 9, 38, it says, yeah, John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told them to stop because it wasn't, they weren't part of our group. <laughs> it's like they're using our church material. They shouldn't be doing that. And so Jesus kind of calmed him down that. So yeah, he had a tiger by the tail with these, with the, with, with these, uh, with these boys. And James and John, um, then, they, then I don't know if they manipulated Salome, their mom, their aunt, because they went to Jesus in, in, Mar, uh, in, in Matthew 20, 21. It says, um, can, can my son sit on the left and right of you when we come into the kingdom? Now, they're trying, to, they're, trying to, they're trying to pull a fast one here, man. And, um, and so you see, Jesus had his hands full. And we see that this was not the, the disciple of love, the love disciple yet. <laughs> he was still a, a work in progress, like all of us, okay? So don't kind of pick on our poor John here today, but I'm also saying that we are sitting in that category how about the religious in, the, in Acts say, these are ignorant and unlearned men, but we see that they've been with Jesus. So I have hope 
I just don't want to hang around with Jesus. They can say, you're unlearned and ignorant, and I'll say, amen, but I'm hanging out with Jesus, and we got a chance then, okay? So to be of good, good cheer. So we're not prettier when we come to Jesus, eh? So we understand we become a work in progress. Um, Rod wasn't a, wasn't a good temperamented person. Um, if you know Palmers, they kind of come of Scottish descent. They have a real brutal temper, and I did have that until Jesus came in and kind of changed that whole thing. I, I, um, I kind of inherited that from my dad, and my dad was a, you know, he had a temper. I mean, uh, uh, the records go that uh, a ram, big sheep ram, could try to, try to take him out, and he crushed its skull with a punch. And then a bull tried to take him out, and he killed it with a brick. Um, so <laughs> my dad was, uh, you stand the good side of my dad, and uh, I'm still alive, yeah. Um, and he used to work with Zulus on his, on his, on his rail, railroad team because he, he, he laid railroad. And he took on eight Zulus and uh, lived to tell. So he's kind of that guy, and that came from that temperament. So Jesus has had a lot of work being done in me. So, um, so now you're safe, though. You're safe as, as a pastor. I want to just tell you you're safe. Um, so God, John didn't start as that disciple of love, but his continuous encounter changed him. And, and we see 60 years later, John starts penning a book and, uh, and starts unfolding things. Uh, the content of the book um, he recorded, uh, known as the Gospel of John, um, it's known as the red, red Letter Gospel. The theologians call it the Red Letter Gospel. Um, there's more quoted about what Jesus said in this, the John's Gospel than anything else. And I was just pondering about that this morning as I looked at the notes again. I realized you've got to be in ear range in a constant way to hear the words. And that's why he could recite and recount all these words that Jesus said. That's why there's so much of it, because he continually postured. He was, the other disciples were running here, there, and everywhere. Um, but kind of Jesus was, had his ear uh, John had his ear close to Jesus and, and was listening to it and could quote these and, and, and document them. It is also known as the I am gospel. There's a, John quotes a lot of what Jesus spoke about in the I am gospel. In John 6.35, it says, I'm the bread of life. In John 8.12, it says, I'm the light. In John 10.7, it says, I'm the door. In 10.11, it says, I'm the good shepherd. In John 11.25, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. In John 14.6, it says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15.1, it says, I am the vine. In John 10.36, it says, I am the son of God. So he, he, he really um, sets stuff that really is good for us to understand, good to know that who, who this Jesus is, that when we encounter him, who he is, and uh, he's that wonderful great shepherd. Um, another emphasis that John makes is that he quotes and says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He, it's, it's, an, it's mentioned 31 times in the New Testament, of which 27 is in Revelation, Two is in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, his Gospel of John. So 29 times, he, it's John that's announcing and saying, I see from the Old Testament that this Jesus is the Lamb of God. And then he says here in John 1, 29, he says, look, the Lamb of God. Other translations said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it, it, John is the one that introduces and brings that. So John in his twilight years sees what God is doing and his, his incredible plan for man. Um, John grew in, in revelation and he, and, he, and he transformed as he 
kept encountering Jesus. He kept encountering God um, because it says here, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, Revelations 1, 1, 10 says. When is the Lord's day? The Lord's day is the day where you continually posture your heart. Um, So how long do you pray for? No, you don't pray for long. You've got to have breath prayers. Meantime, you're continually interacting. That's the kind of thing. So John was in the spirit. He was constantly in communion with this incredible God that he had encountered through Jesus Christ. Um, John delayed, his delay in writing the gospel was God's wisdom and bringing it to a place of maturity in the word so we could be the beneficiary of that. John's gospel is not a synoptic gospel. What does that mean? It's not similar to the other three gospels. And it's good that you understand this because he brings a dimension that makes us, and when we bring new converts, uh, bring people to Christ, the new converts, we tell them to read the gospel of John. Why? Because there is so much more in the dimension. And why I say it's not a, uh, it's not a synoptic gospel, gospel is because Mar, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written um, much earlier than the gospel of John. So it was written much earlier. And so when John looked at the writings Those three writings only quoted the last year of Jesus's ministry. Why why, why can we say that? Well, it says, well, they start with talking about Jesus's birth, his baptism, then the wilderness, and then they jump straight to um, John the Baptist being being beheaded. And John the Baptist uh, was two years into Jesus's ministry when that happened. So there is that gap in the other three gospels that are not, they only speak about one Passover, these other three gospels. But this, uh, John's gospel speaks of all three uh, Passovers, which means there's three years that, we, that, 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 that John is recording. And so we may not have known that Jesus had the three-year ministry if it wasn't for his way of communicating and writing to us. So I think maybe that was some information that would help you understand that. And other stories and miracles would not have been known if it was not for John who wrote it. In John 2, the wedding of Canaan. In John 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The famous scripture, for God so loved the world, that, he, that wouldn't have been in the Bible had it just been the last year. The woman at the well, the lame man at the, at the, at, at the pool, the woman caught in adultery in, in John, John 8, John 9, the blind, blind man healed, John 11, raising Lazarus, John 13, washing the feet of disciples. All that is, is because it wasn't this synoptic gospel. It was different. And, and I think John said, hey, guys, you lost a chunk of Jesus' walk here. And I needed a, and he jumped in. And, and so the revelation of God's, uh, the, other, the other thing is John's revelation of God's love for him. That I, wanna just, I just want to drill in for too, because that's where we sit this is what I want you to understand. With the encounter that he had with Jesus, it, it was a revelation of the love that he had. And so we, we, the following, uh, following things were written in, in John 13, 23. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to, next to Jesus at the table. John 22 says, and she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, that the one whom Jesus loved. <laughs> John 21, seven, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, John 21, 20, uh, 20, it says, Peter uh, turned around and he saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved. In John 19, uh, 26 through 27, and when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. Basically, he asked, 
he asked Mary, uh, John, to look after Mary, his mom, when he was on the cross. And he, and he announced himself as the disciple of Jesus. John does not mention his name in the, the, the gospel at all. The only thing he do, we do know that he, call, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, that is cool because he knew that he knew that he was, he, he was loved. And he, everybody says, well, but, well isn't, isn't, isn't that a, 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 a sort of a comparative thing that I'm better than the, than the other disciples? No, it was a commending thing that we all are his favorites. We are all his favorites and we all can say, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. And we need to say that. Look in the mirror and say, I am the disciple Jesus you love. Man, I am your blue-eyed boy. I'm your green-eyed boy. I'm your purple-eyed boy. I'm whatever you are. I am. No, I know I'm your boy. And so, and it's funny how he wrote that. It's this, like the sort of funny thing that that we see in in Moses writes that that Moses was the most humble person on earth. And when you find out who the author is, it's Moses. I mean, you talk about humility. You talk about the most humble person on earth. Well, it's in the Bible, so we got to believe it and run with it. Amen. And so, um, we see that. And so um, we can all see that Jesus was the disciple that understood the love of Christ. And, and then Jesus and John also records this new commandment. Man, we, we would have missed it. And Jesus announced in John 13, 34. So now I give you a new commandment, red, red writing. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. I tell you, this is a, the, the key to this command is something that stopped me in my tracks in, 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 in Easter um, uh, 2017. I was preparing for, for, the, for the Easter message and um, I realized, man, yes, I, gotta, I, I have this love commandment to love each other. But I realized, unless I do 1 John 4.19, I cannot do that. 1 John 4.19 says, he loved each, we loved each other because he loved us First, I realized until I get on his lap and get loved by him, I have no power to love anybody else. And so when we avoid ourselves of being loved and saturated and kissed all over and encouraged and cheered on and know that we are the disciple that Jesus loves, we do not have the power to do this Christian thing. We do not because we have to have the Jesus in us and we've got to know that we're loved. So those that are around you are going to be enveloped and affected and infected because the love of Christ is in you. Because you know that you loved. Why? Because he first loved us. I could do nothing of this. When I realized that he loved me so much, he went to Calvary, paid for my sin, that love demonstrated to me, touched me, transformed me and was my encounter. And that encounter changed my life. And so we got to understand that until we understand that how much he loves us and, and that he, and we give him an opportunity and give him a place. I can guarantee you, I, I tried it with some of the guys in Buzz and he says, man, it's so hard. I said, get it in the morning. Instead of saying, Father, I love you, I worship you. Just sit there and recite all the things that God tells you about yourself, that he, he loves you, that he's precious, that, 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 that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I tell you, it's hard because we're so told from the pulpit, you must love God, you must worship God, you must, you must, you must, you must. And I tell you what, you can't until you first get on his lap and say, God, just love me, help me. 
And I tell you what, some hard, hard pastoring situations I've been in. And I'm sitting there, so Father, I don't know how to do this, but I sit in my lazy boy for two hours and I just allow God to love me. And when I walk into that, went into that counseling situation, suddenly a whole flow of conversation comes out and I said, God, where is that? He says, that came from me, allowing me to sit with you and love you and your lazy boy. That's what happened. And so if you are in that place, allow God to love you because John had a revelation of that. And that's what happens when you have that encounter. And, and I tell you what, when, when you hang out with Jesus, it infects you, affects you, and we know all about being contagious, okay? And that's what happens. You become contagious. I mean, COVID is going to teach us something. It's going to teach us that we can be contagious for Jesus, amen? And so that's important. And we're going to live through this life, and through the whole of eternity, and we'll not get our head around the love of God. Why? Because Paul writes it here in Ephesians 3.18. He says, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Is too much for us. us. Earthlings just can't get our head around it. And so we're going to have to just get the, a bigger dimension when we go to be with Jesus. And so we will just wait for that. And so, and then John goes on. And can you know that he, can you understand that he remembered the whole conversation that took place at the Last, last Supper? He spoke all about what Jesus was saying, all was about to happen. It's important that you, that you hear this. And thank goodness for John, he listened and he wrote it down. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayer partners fall asleep, but somebody who stayed awake and recorded what Jesus said, and it was John. John had an ear for Jesus. And that's what happens when you encounter Jesus, you, you get an ear. And I haven't even touched the book of Revelation. I want you to know it's a book of Revelation, singular. And it's not what it's about, it's who it's about. So if you get into the whole what's, what's Revelation's about, it's, it's gonna take you off the beaten track. Listen, I don't know if we're pre, post, mid, whatever. I just wanna be ready when Jesus comes, okay? So if you wanna know where I stand, the jury's out in it, I'm gonna stay out in it, okay? I'm not gonna go there. But listen, it is talking about one person and it's right out in the front in Revelations 1 verse one. The revelation of Jesus. That's how the, the book of Revelation starts. It's the revelation of Jesus. So it's who it's about. And I just want to leave it like that. Barry is tackling the Jesus in the seven churches, this Bible study on Wednesday. So if you want to do the revelation thing, Barry, I'm setting you up, buddy. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I close with this, church. How can the eighth born of a, of, of a family of nine in, in Zimbabwe, Africa, with an average education and trained as an electrician, become a Christian at 18, serve for 27 years in two churches in Africa, marry above himself to the most beautiful, wonderful wife. That I sometimes pick on from this pulpit and I unfairly pick on her. She is the most gorgeous and I couldn't do this job without her. And, and then they get to come to America, plant a church and get to co-lead for 17 years with a great team. And here we stand at 62 years old, only encountering Jesus and continually encountering Jesus can give you a journey like that. Amen. Only, I wanna tell you, if there's any encouragement, don't dabble with this Jesus thing, jump in. Hold true to it, hold steady. 
And I'll tell you what. So I just want to just say, it comes by keeping on. What do I mean? Keep on facing him. Keep on following him. Keep faithful to him. Keep on showing up. Keep on showing up in your quiet time. Keep showing up in the family of believers and worshiping. Keep showing up. Val and I are a testimony of that. And that encounter, you'll see his goodness flow through your life. And we're passing it down to the next generation. So let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. You're so good to us. And truly, we can't do this unless we're saturated with your love. So church, we find ourselves here today. Where are you in the message that's spoken today? I believe many in this room and in the sound of my voice have had an encounter, have met Jesus, have heard the message, has responded. But I wanna encourage you, there are more encounters that he's inviting you to. He's beckoning you to. And he says, would you just please show up and I will encounter you. I want you to experience my love. I want you to be touched by my love. I want you to be empowered by my love. I want you to be the vessels of my love. And some said, well, I've never taken the step towards Jesus. I don't even know what this is all about. Well, I just tell you, I did it 44 years ago. I invited him into my life. I encountered him in a school hall where the preacher told me that Jesus went to cross and paid for all my sins. I'd never been impacted by so much love. That day I said yes to Jesus. I invited him into my life. Pastor stood up there and prayed. and He says, those who want Jesus, pray this prayer with me. <laughs> and here I stand. I want you to be standing in years to come declaring the goodness and the greatness of God. And if that's you, just pray out loud with us as a church. We'll pray out loud. Just encourage you to pray. Those at home, just pray this prayer. Those that are hearing me months later, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thanks for paying for my sins. Today, I invite you into my life. I call you Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You stepped into the door of a kingdom that is saturated with his love. And he wants to put his arms around you, embrace you, kiss you, and start working all the yuck, yuck stuff out from the inside out and he'll work gently with you because he designed you with a purpose. He designed you with a plan. He designed you so that you could have life in its abundance and its fullness. So if that's you and you prayed that prayer, somehow contact me and there's many ways you can contact me, but please contact me so I can pray with you and pray for you and uh, just cheer you on in, 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 this, in, in, this, in this incredible journey of, of walking with Jesus. Would you do that? To us that have encountered and have had multiple encounters, 
there's much, much more. He wants to put the quickening power of the Holy Ghost in and through you, that your lives will be walking supernatural beings, that you would be the vessels through which divine favor flows. And I encourage you, I beckon you to press forward for that encounter. Father, I pray for this family. I pray for those that are hearing the sound of my voice. I pray that we'd have a hunger and a passion and a desire to press forward for you, with you, have these multiple encounters as John did and see the transformation. Oh, Father, we see through a glass dimly, but allow our encounters to see you clearer and clearer each day. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You close us in song. Thank you. Let's stand.